0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: The Chicago
0: Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report.
2: And Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host Hussein Koshal. Hussein, it is an exciting time here in Chicago and really across the NFL with training camps kicking into into gear. Uh, We have an exciting show today because uh, we were happy enough to be joined by Chrissy Freud for a quick little conversation to talk about Mississippi State. She covers Mississippi State for Sports Illustrated, so we had a really fun conversation with her, which we'll be getting to later on in this episode, but. There are a lot. To, there is a lot to talk about uh, today in regards to training camp officially kicking off for the Bears. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, July 27th, and you know the Bears—they are officially reporting the training camp here. Just really exciting stuff. You saying how are we doing today, man?
1: I am doing well. I'm excited to go into year three here at the Bear Report. This is going to be the first full season that me and you are going to be doing the Picks or Pace podcast. So. It's going to be a long season but it's definitely going to be fun. I know that I always tell people every single year that the last week of July is really the beginning for all of us that do write about the Bears of what every year despite how the Bears are doing always does tend to be a really fun time but how are you man?
2: Yeah doing awesome I'm just ready for the football season to get started here you know. And like you said, this is our first full year doing this podcast uh, for an entire NFL season. That's really exciting stuff, too. And just looking forward that, to that because, you know, we have a lot of exciting stuff throughout the year, not only with the Bears, but college football, uh, getting some more interesting storylines going on throughout the year as that progresses. But in regards to the Bears here specifically, because uh, this is where it all starts here, because, you know, the rookies, they've been you know reporting the camp recently as of, I think, a few days ago. Justin Fields has been in the building as well. Uh, over the past few days, just getting prepared for the kickoff of actual training camp. But you know, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, they were able to meet with the media today. We were able to get some interesting tidbits here and there. One interesting piece of news that we did get, uh, you know, a big piece of news actually, uh, got a little bit of clarity with the Anthony Miller situation finally. And that was something that came in, I think, a day or two ago, where Anthony Miller was traded to the Houston Texans. Uh, the Bears traded Miller and a seventh-round pick. To the Houston Texans for a fifth round pick in the upcoming 2022 NFL draft, so essentially a pick swap uh, where the Bears are moving up two rounds in that draft. And I thought that was interesting to hear that right before camp. You know, Ryan Pace kind of mentioned his pre- co- press conference that you know the Texans were talking to the Bears about Miller really early on in the offseason. That was a conversation that they were having uh, throughout uh, the offseason here. here. I think the Bears were probably just waiting for you know them to raise their offer a little bit to try and get a little bit more see if they get a little bit more tra- draft capital out of them. And that's appears to be the case here. They got a fifth-round pick out of it, which I was not expecting. I was expecting maybe a sixth- or seventh-round pick for Anthony Miller. But, you know, what are your thoughts here on this trade? Because it opens up a lot of possibilities for the Bears here. And, again, it, clarifi- it clarifies a situation that has been really developing over the last – really for more than a year, uh, starting with Anthony Miller just not being able to get out of the coach's doghouse throughout last season – ending his year getting kicked out of the playoff game against the Saints for punching, uh, Saints defensive back. And then, you know, we heard all offseason the rumors about him being traded, uh, finally happening here. You know, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, I think it's one of those where when the 2020 season ended, and then you had that window right there throughout the end of the playoff game, as well as, the two to three weeks, the final two to three weeks of January, including that first week of February, when you you have George McCaskey that went on 670 to score Chicago radio and mentioned Miller by name and kind of said, he's just like, Hey, it's up to the football guys to decide, you know, at that point when an owner publicly calls a player out and this, probably would have been considered indirectly calling Anthony Miller out that Anthony Miller was going to be on his way out of Chicago at some point this offseason and what I find to be very interesting is this is when you go back all the way to April the Bears have been chopping Anthony Miller for a solid four months now now nothing really came of it and then everything's quiet you talked about the Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace presser I've got the quotes pulled up in front of me transcribed Ryan Pace actually said, once I realized we could get a fifth round pick out of this, we've had a lot of success in that area of the draft. And so essentially, I think for the Bears, the real sweetener just was the fifth round pick that they were going to be getting because when you look at the Bears... 2022 draft capital they don't have a first or fourth round pick because of the Justin Fields trade from the 2021 NFL draft they have a second and a third round pick they're gonna have two fifths now and then a sixth so you're still looking at about five picks that the Bears are gonna have but the point is is that this was a trade that really was just a long 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 time coming and yeah the Bears may have made calls around the NFL there's a lot of teams that would want a number three wide receiver because that's what Anthony Miller is at this point when you just look at his production they want a player that can show up and be reliable and catch 50 to 60 passes a season but fortunately for Anthony what was the problem it was the attitude was the biggest problem and we've seen this all the time this isn't just exclusive to Anthony Miller this is really one of those cases where this was a really good football player but from a mental standpoint he just wasn't right and he really wasn't a fit with the bears and i tweeted this on monday or tuesday and i said the same thing i was just like listen if the bears believe that it was inconsistent quarterback play that was holding anthony miller back odds are they would have went into the season with him on the roster and at least given him a chance to compete for wide receiver three in training camp but when you look at this there's another perspective this move kind of signals that the bears are adding more speed to the offense because they broaden guys like demir goodwin marquise or Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin, Justin Hardy's another guy that they just signed a couple hours ago here on Tuesday afternoon. They're trying to add more and more speed to the offense alongside guys like Darnell Mooney and Al Robinson. Now, Anthony was good with separation, but he was never really a true burner. And so ultimately, there's two things that went into this as we continue to get into this Justin Fields era. It's number one, Anthony Miller just wasn't right mentally. Wasn't a good fit. And number two, the Bears' offensive vision has changed now because they know they have a dual threat quarter, a legitimate dual threat quarterback in Justin Fields, and they want to add speed to the offense. They're not just going to want a wide receiver that only wins because of separation.
2: Yeah, like you said, Anthony Miller, the problems with him in Chicago, we've been talking about this pretty much all offseason here. The problem with Anthony Miller has never been talent or ability to get open, ability to separate. You know, his ability as a route runner, um, you know, separating against man-to-man coverage. That was never the issue with Anthony Miller. I mean, this is a guy that did make a lot of big plays for the Bears throughout his Bears career here. You know, the three years, I mean, look at all the big catches he had for the Bears at many different points here. But the lack of consistency brought the mental aspect of the game, you know, whether it's lining up in the wrong places, not knowing exactly, you know, where to cut off his routes or where exactly he's running his routes, running the wrong routes at times, you know, adding to some spacing issues for the offense. You know, this is an offense you that know, like Matt Nagy bringing over here from Kansas city. That is very detailed where the wide receivers need to be at specific points in time. And Anthony Miller, it, it was just an issue for him. You know, talk, when you look at, you know, what the coaches were saying then watching the film, this wasn't where he was supposed to be all the time when he needed to be. So I think that was an issue that the bears coaching staff saw. He wasn't really getting better. And then, you know, the playoff game on top of it all was just kind of, I think that kind of just sealed the deal for Miller here in his terms of his future in Chicago. They saw that and were like, okay, we specifically added, uh, you know, we're telling our wide receivers all week long, do not engage with this guy. Do not, you know, throw punches here. Do not react. And he goes along and does that in a game where we, we really need him because Darnell Mooney was out for that game due to an injury. They needed Miller on the field and he failed them in the time that they, they needed him the most. And uh, I, I think you can definitely see the frustration there. And, you know, like you said, they brought him some new options at wide receiver, Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin, and some more speed to the roster. I think that's going to be something that Matt Nagy's wanted to add to this offense for a long time. You know, uh, you know, the Bears have been one of the worst teams in the NFL in terms of generating explosive plays since Nagy's taken over, or at least since 2019. In 2018, they were actually pretty good at generating explosive plays, but that's gone over, away over the last few years. Some of that is because of quarterback, and some of that is just due to not having the correct personnel to run this offense in terms of the speed uh, needed to tra- to challenge defenses vertically. So uh, we talked about that Anthony Miller, not quite the best fit for a vertical offense. And he's a great separator underneath and in the intermediate part of the field, but is he winning too many speed matches down the field? I don't really think so. So it kind of makes sense from that aspect of things. And then you look at here where it opens up things for the offense, you know, we've got this nice little tidbit from Brad Spielberger over at PFF. He kind of tweeted this out there immediately after the trade for Miller uh, I think one of the ma- maybe one of the main reasons why they did this now is because uh, Brad mentioned that, you know, the Bears plan at wide receiver. It appears that it will be to use Allen Robinson more so in the slot as opposed to being a true perimeter wide receiver. Now I find that to be very interesting because that kind of speaks to me more so that they are really going for this vertical passing game where if they're going to three wide receiver sets. They want two burners on the outside and then Al Robinson, with his ability as a route runner and ability to make contested catches in traffic, you know, that fits very well in the slot in the middle of the field, though, where you can get quick separation in the middle of the field, you know, on those little slant routes, out routes, option routes, all that stuff, and just make things really easy for your quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields or Andy Dalton. I think that would be a very nice use of his skill set here in this offense. You know, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because, you know, Allen Robinson, he's a guy that he's a wide receiver that can do pretty much everything for you on the outside of the ball. Yeah, he's not the best burner in the world. He's not the best yards after catch threat in the world, but he is a very reliable target for your passing attack. He's a first down machine. Um, and I think that's something that could be maximized here, moving more so to a primarily slot role in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that considering what Allen Robinson has done on the perimeter over the last three seasons heading into year four, it certainly does make sense because, again, and you alluded to this, he is the type of player where you can put him on the outside and you know he's going to be consistently producing. If you put him on the inside, he's going to produce as well. But one other thing we have to keep in mind is what do we – Talk about a lot of the top NFL offenses over the last couple of years. They do this where they have their best wide receiver play on both the outside and inside as a way of it kind of making the rest of the offense expendable. And then kind of diving deep into that here, I think, what happens is if you do have Allen Robinson in the slot, then you're going to be opening up opportunities for a lot of these players underneath. And some of those players include Darnell Mooney. Some of them include the tight end Cole Komet. You could even throw a guy like David Montgomery in there, who the Bears, as well as Tariq Cohen, as he continues to work his way back from the ACL injury despite being placed on the physically unable to perform list. But it certainly makes a lot of sense for the Bears because when you're moving Allen Robinson around, you are effectively dictating the matchups that cornerbacks and opposing defensive coordinators are going to throw at you. And we've seen this far too often through the first three years of the Matt Nagy era is the bears have really not been a threat on offense in terms of being able to dictate matchups. And so I think moving Allen Robinson to the slot, continuing to move him around, that's what it's going to allow you to do, but it's also going to be extremely beneficial to the quarterbacks because when, We look at historically Andy Dalton in the NFL. I mean, he's always been a much better quarterback, not just with a wide receiver that's been on the outside in A.J. Green, but the Bengals did move A.J. Green around a couple times throughout his career between the perimeter and the slot. And so this move right here, it's not just about moving A-Rob around. It is also about doing what's best for the quarterbacks and putting the quarterbacks in comfortable situations to succeed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Alan Robinson, he's going to be the security blanket for this offense all year long. Once again, you know, you're hoping to see development out of Darnell Mooney. You're hoping to see guys like Demir, and Marquis Goodwin step up. Maybe even Riley Ridley maybe steps up for this team going to his third year. You know, it would be nice to see Cole Komet take that next step as a tight end. Um, But like you said, I mean, Alan Robinson, moving him around and just putting him in different places of attack, you know, it does mess with defenses quite a bit because if you're predictable with your usage of Al Robinson just putting in one area, it's easy for defenses to game plan against that and match up against Al Robinson where yeah they know they can put their best corner on, on Al Robinson and it's not necessarily going to be dictating anything to the Bears offense in terms of what coverage they're running, what to expect from the defense and what they're going to be doing on this play. Um by moving Al Robinson more to the slot, it allows, I think it makes things a little bit easier for these quarterbacks. Uh, to decipher what the defense is doing because, you know, if they're running man coverage, you know, why wouldn't you want to put your best cornerback on Allen Robinson at all times, even if it is in the slot. And even if, if they aren't doing that, and it's still man coverage, you know, that creates a mismatch problem where Allen Robinson is going against a slot corner where, you know, the advantage in most cases is going to be tilted towards Allen Robinson's favor. Um, you know, one thing I saw here, you know, according to PFF, Allen Robinson, he's been one of the more reliable and efficient targets in the slot You know, in the entire NFL throughout his career, I thought I I I saw a stat where I think he was the sixth most efficient uh, slot wide receiver in the NFL last season on players with 30 more targets in the slot. So uh, I could be wrong on that. It was like sixth or eighth, I think I saw. So that's something that that is exciting for this offense. Another thing uh, to keep in mind for this offense as we head into training camp before we kind of move on to talk about the defense a little bit, uh, you know, with Anthony Miller being traded, that opened up a roster spot then. Uh, for the Bears to add another player here. And they decided to add a, a tight end here to this group. And that's Jesse James, who played for the Lions over the past couple of years, but he was formerly with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a long time. Uh, they signed him to a one-year deal. It's going to be, It could be worth up to $2 million. I think there's only about $1.6 guaranteed in that. I'm kind of curious to see what their role is for him, because uh, James, he immediately enters, I think, as their best blocking tight end of the group. So kind of upgrading that tight end three spot to what they had last year in Demetrius Harris. Um, you know could be an upgrade there I think add some more depth because we, we went to this offseason you know they didn't really add much to the tight end room they kind of kind of got the idea that it was just going to be Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet and hopefully Komet takes that next step forward and, and Graham can uh, continue to play at the level that he was last year where I mean he wasn't really great or anything but um, he was at least decent and a good red zone threat but uh, James is pretty interesting here, an interesting add for me, because you know that opens a window, I think, for the Bears to run more two and three tight end sets and really do some of those more heavy uh, packages that I think Nagy wants to run. He wants to run more multi-tight end sets, but just hasn't quite had the depth or personnel to kind of make that work here so far.
1: Yeah, Jesse James, I think, is a really interesting case study, because when you look at his entire career for the most part he has been a backup in a rotational tight end but also back in 2017 when he was with pittsburgh he started 14 games that year and he had 43 receptions and averaged about 8.7 yards a reception now ultimately if you were to look at james production from 2016 17 and 18 and then compare it to his production from 2019 and 2020, you would see two very different players. And I think what makes him such a polarizing player is that he's shown, okay, I can be a bit of a weapon in the passing game, but then also I can be a really solid blocker. And you're talking about a player that is about 6'7", 250 pounds. So I think he's going to come in and be more of a traditional blocking tight end just because what Chicago is going to expect is Cole Komet to effectively Comet and Jimmy Graham to kind of be the two receiving tight ends. Now this fits into the three, rec- or, I'm sorry, the three tight end set because I think James is going to come in and be your blocking tight end. And then you are going to have Komet as well as Graham be the primary receiving tight ends. But then also in the context of a two tight end set, what you're going to have is Cole Komet out in the slot because the bears want that chess piece at the tight end position that they can line up on the line of scrimmage. They can line up in the slot and then also when you look at the rest of the tight end room, you do have players, a guy like Jake Butt, for example, look, he's never really been healthy, never really played a full season. That's just the depth signing that you make to hope that, okay, if he's healthy enough, you know what? Maybe he has a chance at making the roster. But then another intriguing candidate to watch, and this is a player that is very similar to Jesse James, is J.P. Holtz. Now, what J.P. Holtz has been over the last couple of years, he's kind of been the – a bit of a, a bit of a fullback for the bears in the sense that, okay, he's been in the passing game. He's lined up in the backfield. And I believe that position is called the H back, right? So he's been the H back too, right? Not necessarily the true running back. And so I think Jesse James was primarily brought in because the bears want to see, Hey, can we see more of the 2016, 27, 2018, Jesse James, where we could have a guy that's 27 years old and then develop into a solid tight end two or three as a receiver, or are we just going to get someone that's solely going to be a blocking tight end? If even if you get someone that's solely a blocking tight end, that's totally okay because you are going to be able to line him up on the line of scrimmage have and have him block, or put him in the backfield and pave the way for a guy like David Montgomery.
2: Yeah, either way, I think the Bears. I mean, Nagy said this in his press conference as well that their goal is to give David Montgomery twenty carries a game this season, which I don't really quite believe. I think Nagy, his nature is to want to pass the ball and not run the ball too much, but. I think, you know, for this year in particular, I think they are going to try to emphasize the running game a little bit more um, and kind of continue what they kind of started last year, the outside zone play action scheme. They really were for them down the stretch. And I don't know if they're going to be going to that full time, but definitely I think uh, it should be expected that they're going to implement that as much as they can for this offense and try to get shot plays off of that. So uh, the running game is going to be a key part of that. And getting a blocking tight end like Jesse James in there, who I mean, yeah, he might not be the more most dynamic receiving threat in the world, but if you can add that element to this team as an extra blocker, a nice solid blocker for them, I think that helps because, you know, like you kind of mentioned, it, they want to use Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet as that U tight end where they can move him all over the formation and see what they can do. Even though I'm not really high on Komet in that role, um, that appears to be their plan for him going forward. So to get a guy like Jesse James who is comfortable in that Y role as a blocker I think it certainly helps them going forward. And I'm, just, I'm interested to see how they implement these three tight ends going forward, because I think we can definitely see that those three are going to be a locks uh, to make the roster uh, when training camp concludes and we get to the regular season.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
2: Uh, Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, because we talked a little bit about the offensive side of the ball last week as well. Uh, Didn't really talk much about the defense because, you know, there are still some storylines to talk about here the defense. And uh, when you look at it here, you know, it's interesting because the Bears, they cut Kyle Fuller in the offseason. You know, that cornerback position, I think, is going to be the main storyline to look out for. You know, who is going to step up at that cornerback spot? We heard some rumblings about Kendall Vildor um, potentially filling that role. I mean, even Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy talked about it you know, Kendall Vildor is somebody that they expect to be uh, having a huge role for them, or at least competing for a huge role for them this season. So I'm really interested in in that because, you know, they, this was something that was mentioned during mini camps and something that some of the beat reporters were kind of throwing out there that Kendall Vildor was impressing. And to hear that coming from the coaches now, uh, that really intrigues me because, you know, Kendall Vildor, fifth round pick, you know, wasn't a lot expected out of him, but if he could establish himself as like a legitimately like solid starter for them, that'll go a long way towards helping out this secondary that has a lot of question marks uh, going into this season.
1: Well, when you talk about a player like Kendall Vilder, defensive coordinator Sean Desai really praised him throughout OTAs and minicamps saying, Kendall's a player who played at a high level. We believe that he can play at a high level in this league. And he really showcased that this year. That wasn't the exact quote, but that's pretty much what Sean Desai was saying. Now that's a major thing going forward because when the Bears got Kyle Fuller and they signed Desmond Trufant sometime later, everyone's under the impression that it's going to be Jalen Johnson and Desmond Trufant. And Desmond Trufant, he's a former first round pick. There's no reason to discount what he's done because he has played at a high level. But ultimately, if Kendall Vildor emerges, you only have a million dollars, none of which is guaranteed tied up to Desmond Trufant. You can actually move on from Desmond Trufant. And then the implications of that are, yeah, you probably have two of the youngest starting cornerbacks in the NFL, or probably the youngest starting cornerback tandem in the NFL, because you're talking about two second year players. But also the major benefit would be that as you get into 2022 and 2023, which would be builder and Johnson's third and fourth season, you would have two players at what I consider a premium position in such a pass happy league both on rookie contracts and when we talk about Kendall Vilder last year I mean he was a bit of he needs to be better in coverage cuz he was a liability in coverage but he was a really solid open field tackler so you can ask him to get down and dirty and run support and then make an impact but like I said you know and what is a pass happy league you have to be able to be an effective cover corner and I think that Kendall Vilder, he certainly just seems to be better in zone coverage than he does in man coverage because again there were times last year in man coverage where he just looked totally lost but going into year two if he's taking the step that the coaching staff hopes that the coaching staff is hoping he can take then I think he's just gonna become a solid all-around corner because he did showcase some ball skills last year I mean last year you look at the interceptions I don't believe he had any but he was in a situation where if he was making enough plays on the ball to warn okay that could have been an interception that could have been an interception maybe a half a second earlier too late he got to some place and then bats the ball down but if he was there a half second earlier it probably would have been a pick and so Kendall Vildor I think is going to be one of the most intriguing storylines and names to just watch on the defensive side of the ball yeah,
2: we got to keep in mind that cornerback is historically a very tough position to play for rookies coming into the league. Like Jalen Johnson being as good as he was as a rookie, that, that's very surprising for these guys. These guys are going to struggle um, as rookies at the cornerback position. That's just the way this league works, especially now. So for Kendall Vildor as a backup fifth round pick to play as well as he did down the stretch late last season, that's definitely a positive year. And hopefully he can continue that momentum here going to the training camp. I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, another player that quarterback Ron I'm excited to see uh, perform is Thomas Graham Jr. competing with Duke Shelley in the slot. Now, that wasn't really mentioned in the presser today, but uh, you know when Thomas Graham Jr. was picked in the sixth round of this past draft, I was very excited for that pick because I saw him down the senior bowl, and you could just see tell, seeing him at the senior bowl, that this guy knows how to cover. This guy knows how to play. He's technically sound. You know, he's very fluid in his movements, despite not being the greatest athlete in the world. And you know, I'm very curious to see if they let him be, you know, be in an open open competition uh, with Duke Shelley in that slot role because you know that's not a guaranteed spot either. They, you know, the Bears are really trying to find two more starters here for this cornerback room outside of just Jalen Johnson on the outside. Like Jalen Johnson is the only sure thing in that cornerback room right now. The rest are just question marks. So if Thomas Graham and Duke Shelley, if one of those two guys can establish themselves as legitimate starters. Uh, That would be huge once again for this cornerback room because, like I've said before, I mean, there just isn't a lot of optimism for this group as of right now because the talent and, you know, the proven talent right there, it it is non-existent right now. Um, And that just is really scary going forward, even though that pass rush is going to be really good. At least we hope it's going to be really good. uh, It doesn't really matter if guys are wide open all day in the back end of the defense.
1: Yeah, so Thomas Graham Jr., I think when you look at his skill set, I mean, he in a couple ways actually seems like a guy that I think could even transition to playing safety. Now, obviously, Chicago does have to Sean Gibson there. But what was interesting is, is I think when you look at Thomas Graham Jr.'s skill set, that's you're looking at a player that I think you can also move around multiple spots. And so it's going to be very interesting to see with the entire cornerback room in general, and Thomas Graham Jr. is included in this, just how do the Bears move some of these guys around? What are the different combinations that they're going to use? Are they going to take a player like Thomas Graham Jr. and see if he can handle the load at safety, give him some reps there for a day or two, and if he excels, move him there and make him positively into a full-time safety? Or are they going to realize, man, you know what? His ball skills are really good. He's able to keep up with these speedy slot receivers when the Dolphins come to play, to come to Hall in a couple weeks to practice. So, hey, let's just keep him full-time on slot cornerback. And I think for the Bears, right, him emerging would be massive, but also another interesting name to keep an eye on would also be 2019 sixth round pick Duke Shelley, a player that kind of has been a depth and special teams guy over the last couple of years. But Duke, I think, could be a player that now with Buster Screen out of the way, he could also challenge for a starting spot. So really with Thomas Graham Jr., I think has the edge just because he did play against tons of superior competition coming from the Pac-12 compared to Shelley, who played at Kansas State. But overall, when you look at Thomas, what I see is basically a safety who has played um, cornerback throughout pretty much his college career.
2: Yeah, and we'll, and we'll see how that cornerback competition plays out. You know, like you said, the safeties are going to be set with Eddie Jackson and Sean Gibson there. That cornerback room, though, is going to be really fascinating to see how that all breaks down. Uh, another notable thing for this defense here is, you know, this is something that uh, was reported earlier like a month ago basically um, by Bill Zimmer and over at WCG Woody City Gridiron uh, but you know he reported that Eddie Goldman was expected to be back at train camp even though that he missed mini camp in June well lo and behold Eddie Goldman did show up for the Bears in the first day train camp and did report so the Bears officially now are getting a huge key piece of their defense back in the, in the middle of that front seven there with Eddie Goldman their big nose tackle back uh, and that really helps out a lot because, you know, I think if the bears are going to be going back to this Vic Fangio style of defense under Sean Desai as a new defensive coordinator here, you know, that's going to require a lot of nickel packages and a lot of light boxes here. And with that, you know, that type of style of defense there, you need a front four or at least a front two interior group that can defend the run at a high level. And, you know, there aren't many better nose tackles at doing that than Eddie Goldman and when you combine that with Akeem Hicks here, who, you know, you hope can stay healthy for a whole, a whole season here. Um, you know, I'm really hoping that we can get back to that 2018 style of dominant front four play um, for this defense here, because I mean, it pretty much is going to be like a front four basically, because they're going to be running a lot of nickel. And so when I re- reference a front four, I'm mentioning it as like a four two, five defense where you have, you know, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, and a combination of Robert Quinn and some other outside linebacker as your front four, you got your two linebackers, Roquan Smith, Andrew Bathin and then your secondary. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see, you know, how Eddie Goldman is in terms of the conditioning and what type of shape he is in. Uh, because, you know, it was reported that, you know, he's been working out at the facility all off season. And if he's in good shape, I mean, that bodes very well for this defense going into this season because they need as much help as they can get uh, from that front seven with, all the questions surrounding the secondary.
1: Yeah. So tied on Eddie Goldman, I mean, the bears were actually going through physicals throughout the day on Tuesday. So when asked about, Hey, is Eddie in football shape, Brian Pace and Matt Nagy, they were like, yeah, he looks pretty good. But as we continue to go through physicals again, for a player that hasn't played since the end of the 2019 season. So more than a calendar year at this point, we are still determining whether he's legitimately in football shape. And I think it's gonna be one of those things where the Bears are gonna go ahead and they're just gonna ease Eddie Goldman into the action because again, training camp, it is a very stressful time of the year on players' bodies, but getting him back really solidifies this run defense. And know Roquan Smith was the one who asked about it. And I believe Roquan Smith unofficially or indirectly broke the news that Eddie Goldman's back for officially back at Hallis Hall off in training camp. And I think he did so with a smile on on his face I was watching the presser but what will happen is this you're finally getting that big presence that's going to take on those double teams and what is that going to do well that's going to allow Roquan Smith to return to more so that traditional off-ball linebacker role and continue to be able to do stuff like shoot the gaps right run sideline to sideline and just take down ball carriers using that speed so with Eddie Goldman back the entire defense is really going to benefit the front four gets an automatic lift, and then that's going to allow the secondary to basically be able to buy some time and make some mistakes. Or hopefully no mistakes or no major mistakes are made, but not every single game is going to be perfect. And then a player like Akeem Hicks is going to benefit too, because Eddie Goldman's up there taking on a double team. And then you have Akeem Hicks who's taking on a double team or is able to continue to collapse the pocket. And then you add in the pressure that Khalil Mack's going to bring. So it's going to be really exciting to see what the Bears are going to do. And then in the context of the 4-2-5 defense, I mean, you mentioned Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn apparently is back and looking good. Now, I'm not going to put too much stock into that just because we need to see how Robert Quinn is actually going to look on the field through our preseason. And by the way, with three preseason games this year, Matt Nagy is really looking f- – Matt Nagy pretty much called preseason football real football, which I find to be very odd because the last time that he – there was an actual preseason, I mean, none of the starters played. And then we saw week one against Green Bay how – that turned out so ultimately when you look at this defensive side of the ball, I think they're going to be more aggressive. Matt Nagy clearly seems to want more and more turnovers, and then you listen to what some of the players are saying, like a Jalen Johnson and a Roquan Smith, and they certainly do want to create more turnovers to set the offense up. Yeah, I
2: just the last thing I'll, I'll add for Eddie Goldman, there probably isn't a happier person in the Bears building right now to have Eddie Goldman back than Roquan Smith at this point because Roquan Smith, his game uh, is, you know, very reliant on staying clean at that second level and getting a big guy like Eddie Goldman back there. Uh, that's, that smile is definitely, uh, definitely, you know, real. You know, Eddie, Roquan Smith's got to be ecstatic to him back because Eddie Goldman's going to really help him out as Roquan goes into a critical year in terms of getting that next uh, second contract for him uh, beyond his rookie deals. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how Eddie Goldman back here for this defense, but you mentioned uh, the preseason and, um, you know, Matt Nagy being a little bit uh, more aggressive using his players there. And then, you know, the turnover aspect of things with this defense, you know, let's, let's end on this, uh, on this note here, talking about the turnovers for the bears, because this has been something that, Uh, you know I'm writing an article up on uh, for the bear report that should be out by the time that this podcast is out and you know turnovers have been a big deal for the Bears defense over the past two years I mean you look at what they did in 2018 they led the NFL with 36 takeaways that year and then in the two years since you'll get 19 turnovers and then 18 turnovers so it's been on a downward climb really dramatically so compared to where they were in 2018 now Turnovers can often be fickle at times. I mean, some of it is just a lot of like, just dumb luck at some times for turnovers and the way it works in the NFL, just the way that the ball bounces and things like that, especially on fumbles. Um, but, you know, this is something that Matt Nagy uh, really emphasized in his opening press conference when talking about the defense. He wants us to be an aggressive unit in terms of trying to take the ball away because not only does that help your defense get off the field and just, you know, it stops the offenses from scoring, opposing offenses, you should say, but it helps out your offense because one of the biggest things that helped the 2018 group on offensively uh, was the defense's ability to take the ball away and put the offense in good places where they could have an easier time of scoring the ball. Uh, they were in much better place in terms of the field position, uh, winning the field position battle in places to where they didn't have to drive the full length of the field in order to score touchdowns, and that's really going to help this offense, especially – you know, considering where they're at right now, where they're still kind of developing right now, they have a lot of new pieces a new offensive line, new quarterbacks, uh, it's a little bit of a different feel at wide receiver, um, just a lot that they're working in here on that side of the ball. And it's going to take some time for them to really get going uh, right there, <clears throat> excuse me, going into the future here. So if the defense can get back closer to where they were in 2018, which I'm not expecting because of where the secondary is at that's going to go a long way towards you know hopefully getting this team back to where it was in 2018 where they were legitimate contenders for not only the, the NFC North division but you know a Super Bowl in general
1: yeah well i think to expect the 2018 defense again is kind of a really un i'm sorry an unrealistic expectation i think when you talk about this defense just looking at the way that it has transformed over the years we have to keep a couple things in mind number one the 2018 defense is probably the deepest defense in terms of depth that the Bears have fielded over the last decade or so because if you look at that defense I mean yeah you have your starters like Prince Imukomara and Bryce Callahan as well as all the other guys but then what you also had was enough depth at those positions and behind those guys to the point where you could plug and play. That's not necessarily the case this year because that was also a much more experienced defense. This defense is the experienced of their yeah. But what are you missing? You're missing good players at critical spots. Now, if Kyle Fuller was still here, I mean, you could probably expect that. But then again, it's just like, does this defense does this defense in 2021, does it have the potential to be a top 10 defense? 110% yes, it does. And can it be a top 10 defense? Because when you look at the NFL over the last couple of years, I mean this Vic Fangio defense is really taking over the NFL and teams are consistently hiring from that Vic Fangio tree because they realize it's a defense that has all the answers and is able to solve whatever issues offenses are going to throw at them. You look at the Rams last year, they had a down year in 2019, they go out and they hire Brandon Staley, I believe it was. And then they automatically turn the defense around. And so, this big Fangio defense with Sean Desai now, I think Sean's going to have his own wrinkle of what this defense is going to be, but it's certainly going to be more aggressive. Now, turnovers and sacks and everything that's going to fill the stat sheet, that stuff is great, but we also have to understand is sometimes the plays that don't count are the ones that make the biggest difference. So if it's like a simple run stuff that, you know, Eddie Goldman's setting up, but a guy like Khalil Mack or Roquan Smith is making the stop, you know what? And it's just a simple tackle. That goes a longer way than necessarily like a turnover and interception, but at the same time, you also can't discount that an interception or a forced fumble or a turn create a turnover can also swing a game and swing momentum. So, really, with the defense, I think we have to temper our expectations because again they are a couple of years older and it is a completely different core as well. Because take that outside linebacker two, for example you don't have Leonard Floyd anymore. You don't have that kind of do-it-all linebacker who, yeah, he was supposed to be a double-digit stack artist, but really with Floyd, he was great in run support. He was great in coverage too. You can't necessarily ask that of a guy like Robert Quinn, right? So there are limited at some positions, which is why it's not going to be the same like 2018 defense. So you need to temper expectations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's important to keep those uh, expectations within reason at this point, but You know, I am excited to see what Sean Desai does in his first years as a defensive coordinator. I'm excited to see whether he brings more of that Vic Fangio flair to the defense or whether he's going to be kind of doing a combination of what we saw over the past couple of years with Chuck Pagano and Vic Fangio. Certainly a lot to keep in mind here, but I'm just excited that we're getting training camp and we're going to start to see some actual legitimate updates for this team going forward and get to see them on the field a little bit. So uh, it's exciting. You said football is back and I'm just really looking forward to it. But another thing to look forward to here is our interview now with Chrissy Freud. We were able to talk with her a little bit about Mississippi State football. So I kind of teased this at the beginning of the episode. Let's get to that right now to kind of end this thing you said. Uh, here is our interview with Chrissy Freud.
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
2: All right, now joining us here at Fix for Pace is our guest for today's podcast, Chrissy Freud. She's the publisher at SI Cowball Corner covering Mississippi State football. She also writes for USA Today covering LSU, the Tennessee Titans, as well as a writer for the Draft Network. Chrissy, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing?
3: Good, how are you?
2: Doing really, really well. Uh, happy to get some information on Mississippi State. Uh, you know, you were recently covering the team at SEC Media Day, so hopefully get a couple interesting things there for sure. But I want to start, uh, you know, our first question here going over the past draft for Mississippi State, because they had a couple of prospects go in the seventh round. When you look at Marquis Spencer and running back Kylan Hill, you know who, what do you anticipate their role in the NFL being? And how do you see both players fitting with their respective teams?
3: Yeah, I wasn't covering Mississippi State during the draft. So Spencer is not a guy that I was really keeping up with as more focused on LSU. But Kylan Hill is someone that I did work with a lot. So the thing about Kylan is that he I mean before the season was poised to be I mean before the coaching change was poised to be uh, one of the best running backs if not the best running back in the country and so it's it's definitely not the fault of the scheme I think that the scheme's really good with the air raid because I mean with running backs they can improve their catchability which makes them so much more versatile and with the way that things are going in the NFL right now I think that's so important but the point I make with that is that even though the scheme did not demand that Kylan run the ball as much as we've seen him do, we know that he still has that ability, and elite ability that a lot of people don't have. I think there were a lot of people in the position that were drafted before him that I definitely would have taken Kylan Hill over. But I mean, it comes down to me to just kind of this recency thing because some people get hung up on that. And there was kind of one thing I talked to Kylan about was a sense of amnesia with these opt-outs. Like guys like Jamara Chase, it was almost like for a little while, that people kind of forgot about how good they were. So I think that the Packers got an absolute steal on Kylan
1: Hill. So Kylan's definitely interesting because I know he's playing for the Packers right now and they're imploding and a lot of us here in Chicago are kind of happy about it. But let's talk about the guy who apparently hates wearing ties. I know he's at SEC Media (laughs) Day, but what are your expectations for head coach Mike Leach going into year two, especially knowing that they started off last season by upsetting LSU, And then they kind of seem to have an up and down season.
3: Yeah, well, I think a lot of those ups and downs came from the fact that the players were so young. I'm not sure if you saw what I tweeted out, but there were 26 first time starters on that team. And then the transition that that team was making, a lot of those players have been playing in this system under Joe Moorhead, which is RPO based. And there's a lot of designed quarterback runs within it. So they're used to something totally different. You don't have a full offseason. You're implementing totally different strategies on both offense and defense. So uh, I think that Mike referred to it as a purging of malcontents, but you do need to get some of those players out that are not bought in. I mean, it sounds kind of harsh, but that's the way that it is, because there's going to be guys there that it's a totally new transition for them and they simply can't or do not want to adapt to that scheme. And then you had the COVID thing with uh, them being below the, the recommended player limit or whatever it is, but um, so they had less guys than they were supposed to have. And so there was just a lot of adversity last season. And if you look back at Mike Leach at Washington state, the first season record wise was not that great. And then you start to see the turnaround, which continued pretty much upwardly from there in the second year. So I think that we could see that trend kind of continue at Mississippi state, I think that Mississippi State has a lot more of the right guys are starting to be able to recruit guys specifically for that scheme. And so I think that it's up from here. And I think that last year is not an accurate reflection of what this can be. I think that, you know, you can say that everyone went through adversity last year with COVID. But I mean, I think that Mississippi State was just specifically behind the eight ball because, like I said, totally new scheme. uh, I've the first or second youngest team in the SEC. So I really think that we can just kind of scrap what happened last year. And I think that within the next, I'd say one to three years, we start to see uh, something really, really good take place there. Because I mean, there were reporters at Washington state that would kind of say some things about like, Oh, like, why is, why is this happening? But whenever you look at it, how Washington state was before you have to appreciate how far that a team has come since before the coaching staff arrived. And then after they arrived, and that's how you should really evaluate that kind of stuff, as opposed to just looking at the here and now, because it is a process. This doesn't happen overnight.
2: Right. And a big part of that process is going to be what Mississippi state gets out of the quarterback position. And that brings us to Will Rogers quarterback here. You know, what does 2021 hold for Will Rogers here? And, You know, this is a guy that Mike Leach has praised this offseason quite a bit. So, what are your, what are kind of the expectations for Rodgers here as he goes into being the uh, assumed starter at the quarterback position?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't really like the phrase assumed starter because I really don't get the sense that Will Rodgers is kind of like just, that I feel like it's been presented as if Will Rogers is the guy to beat and like it's pretty much his job to lose and it's like oh well maybe if Jack Abraham sneaks up on him no I think that it's more of it is still an open competition Jack Abraham and Will Rogers are very much the front runners and I think that it's going to be a very closely fought battle throughout fall camp so you look at what Jack Abraham did at Southern Miss he did some really good things there and he has the edge in terms of experience as well and then you take Will Rogers who did a pretty decent job in my opinion um, in relief of KJ Costello after he suffered that concussion. But it was, you have to wonder too, how much of that is that the offense is finally getting its feet under it because that was the other thing too, whenever you go back to evaluating last season and the apparent drop-off as they like to call it, they did finish the season by winning two consecutive games. And then there were a lot of games like with Georgia that they played very closely that they definitely could have won in. So when I look at that I kind of wonder how much of that is Will Rogers improving the offense himself and how much of it is just things finally starting to come together I think there's still some things that he needs to fix but that there's a pretty decent foundation there so I mean I could see it going either way I kind of personally err on the side of Jack Abraham just because that's who I personally like better uh, by just a little bit but I think that it's definitely going to be a lot closer than people seem to think it will be.
1: I think it's going to be interesting because I know Mike Leach was kind of asked, I think it was yesterday at SEC media day in terms of what do you look for a quarterback? And the thing that stuck out for me was, Hey, it's someone that can elevate the other 10 guys on the team and then talked about accuracy and decision-making. But I mean, you kind of answered our next question, right. In terms of do you think that will Rogers or any of these quarterbacks are going to be able to run the air raid system effectively and then do it at the level that Mike Leach is, has kind of laid down
3: yeah I mean I think that while Rogers showed that he could start doing that last season it's just when you look at the sample size compared to how much longer he has in college there's still a long road ahead of continuing to prove that and I really don't take guys seriously as oh they should be the starter until I've seen a decent amount of play from them because I think just we as people kind of get it in our heads like oh well He was a true freshman and he was ahead of schedule for a true freshman and he did decent at the end of the season. So surely he should be the guy to beat for years to come. And to me, that's just not necessarily how it works. But I think that Mike mentioned with both Will Rogers and Jack Abraham that they were both guys that he thought could elevate their teammates. And so I think with the level of experience that Jack Abraham has and how successful he has been in the past as a passer, I think that he can absolutely do well in the air raid system. It's just the fact that we haven't seen him do it in a real game yet for Mississippi State. Uh, One guy that I'm really excited to see is Sawyer Robertson, because he ran the air raid in high school. That's a a quarterback that Mike Leach recruited out of high school for Mississippi State, uh, which we haven't seen yet before him. So I think that he's in a way you can kind of call it like born and bred air raid i guess he's he's used to this he's done this thing before and so i i'm really curious to see if there's a situation down the road where obviously it's way too early to predict any of this happening we're not even to game one but maybe there's a situation where we see him um earlier than we thought that we did or just whenever he gets out on the field i think he's going to be really impressive and it's gonna be really neat uh, to see a quarterback recruited out of the air raid in high school, running the air raid in the SEC. It's something I'm personally looking forward to quite a bit.
2: Well, at the end of the day, all these quarterbacks are going to have to prove it once they get onto the football field. And that's going to certainly make things exciting for you covering the team. But, you know, speaking of, you know, proving out on the football field you know, looking ahead to the schedule for Mississippi state here in 2021, they have a three week stretch where, you know, from the end of September until mid October, you have matchups such as going up against LSU, Texas A&M and Alabama. Do um, you think this is probably the most important stretch on the schedule and, and what do you think is the most important game just in general for this team this
1: season?
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely the most important stretch and those are going to be tough games regardless. Um, I think that Mississippi State's going to do very well throughout its non-conference games and then whenever you get to LSU, I think that's kind of like a tester, you know. They came in and beat them with an upset last year and then – LSU was also kind of depleted last year and so LSU is kind of in this weird state to me <clears throat> we're on paper they have uh the Tigers have all the right pieces in place uh they're stacked with talent the quarterback position they have a quarterback battle going on in the best way possible right now um of those three I think that Garrett Nesmeyer probably has the highest ceiling but I think that he's too inexperienced for us to see him uh this season uh, we still really don't know what Miles Brennan is, which is kind of shocking for a guy that's going into his fifth year. But he just hasn't started a lot of games. but From what I've seen with him, there are a lot of times that he's inconsistent, that he gets rattled in the pocket. And the only time that I've really seen him elevate, the only chance he's ever really had to show us he can elevate, um, was against these teams that we would usually deem to be pretty easy wins, and he he and the team lost against one of them. And I think if you have a guy like Joe Burrow, that you win that game. So. And then Max Johnson, I think that he brings a lot to the table in terms of from a mobility aspect. We saw, saw him do a lot of good things very early on. And I think that his passing ability is steadily improving. And Ed Ogeron has kind of consistently reiterated this is only 2 and no quarterback that we have on the campus. So I think that the quarterback position will have a lot to do with it, just how successful they are at that point. And then there's obviously Jake Peets and DJ Mangus that came in uh, from Joe Brady in Carolina and they're trying to kind of recreate that 2019 national championship team essentially and so right now it on both sides of the ball it looks pretty good on paper but I've seen a lot of teams come in that look really good on paper and it just doesn't come out on the football field so it's going to depend on if that is coming out of the football field for LSU, how closely this game is played. But I have a lot of confidence in the scheme that Mike Leach runs, and I think that they have a lot better uh, people in place. They have a full off season in place. So I think that it's going to be a close game either way. I did pick Mississippi State to win that game. And then when you get into Texas A&M, that's another one. They have a lot of really good talent across uh, just across both sides of the ball. And then they have a very interesting quarterback battle going on right now. A lot of people think that Haynes King could kind of be an X factor. And depending on how much of an X factor he is, and it's the same thing, how well A&M is coming together, then that could potentially be a very tough game to win. And then Alabama, um, that's just in all my years of covering LSU, it seems like no, no matter how good LSU has been, Alabama has just been really, really difficult to take down. So it's... It's hard to predict a win for any SEC team against Alabama, so I didn't predict a win for Mississippi State against them, but I think it's always kind of fun to watch a team play Alabama and see how well they play them, and that kind of gives you a sense of where they really stand in my eyes. And I mean, maybe we see a shocker, maybe we see a surprise. I mean, I don't think that ahead of the 2019 season, anyone was predicting that LSU would go undefeated and that they would be Alabama and then beat Clemson by a decent margin and then a national championship. So you never really know, but yeah, that's definitely a tough stretch.
1: So earlier you mentioned that um, Mississippi state has a number of players that are returning. I mean, there were, you know, I think it was like 26 was the number you mentioned, but just, Give us a quick glimpse here. Who are some of the emerging players on the roster to keep an eye on? And then anyone that's returning from 2020 that's going to have a major impact this season that probably may not have had an impact last season.
3: Well, I mean, I know that no one really talks about offensive linemen that much, but uh, Charles Cross, the offensive tackle is slated by most people to go in the first round. And whenever I've looked at a little bit of his tape and I'm impressed with what I see, and I don't really study, a whole lot of offensive linemen because I'm quarterback based, but I think that they definitely have that going for them. And I mean, everything, everything starts for you at the offensive line, because if you can't get things going on offense, you can't, you can't score points to win. And then if you don't have a good offensive line then you can't get anything going in general to begin with. So I think that it's huge for them to have an improved offensive line this season and to have a first rounder within it. As far as the wide receivers go, I think that Austin Williams is a guy that kind of started to break out last year. Um, he's definitely won over Mike Leach. He's definitely one of his favorite guys on the team, just from what I've been told and from what I've seen. I mean, you don't bring a player to SEC media days for no reason as well. Um, so I think that he's someone who's going to really continue to expand, someone who's really embraced the Air 8 offense um, over there at Mississippi State. And then you also have Jaden Wally, who is was uh, nominated not nominated, I'm sorry, named the preseason watch list for the Blitnikoff Award. So that's, you have at least two really solid wide receivers there. And this is a scheme that's really, doesn't have top wide receivers. You kind of distribute the ball uh, to just everybody, wherever there's open space. So I think that those are two guys who are really going to help out though. And two guys that are really going to continue to do really well there. And then you have Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson at the running back position. A lot of people, you know, they kind of say, oh, well, I mean, this is air eight offense. How can a running back do well? But I mean, there are a few run plays in there. We don't see it a lot in Mike Leach's system, but the main thing that we look at there, like I mentioned with Kylan Hill is improving that catchability and improving uh, that versatility. And that's something that I'm seeing a lot of from them and something they'll continue to build upon that brings another dimension to the offense. And so I think that as far as the offense goes, that we're going to see a much more pulled together offense under a very good system. This season, that's going to be really hard to beat. And then on defense, you have guys like Fred Peters, who is one of the best safeties. He uh, was kind of struggling with injury there for a little while, but he's coming back uh, could be one of the best players in the secondary in the nation. So I think that that secondary is definitely going to be something, something to watch. And so it's, When you look at it, there's a lot of guys that could emerge and could do a lot of things this year on on both sides of the ball. And so I think that we're going – I think everyone's kind of still counting Mississippi State out this year, but I think that we're going to see just a lot of improvement in a team that might shock a few people this year.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Cross as the big name on the offensive line in terms of as being like a draft prospect, talking about him being a first-rounder potentially – when um, looking ahead to the 2022 NFL drafts, are there any other prospects to kind of keep an eye on specifically for this upcoming draft? I know you mentioned a lot of names right there, but you know, what what do you think the prospects are for any of those players that you kind of just mentioned?
3: Yeah, I think it's going to see, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, when they, when they decide to leave school, because like I mentioned Jaden Wally and he was only a freshman last year. Um, and then Austin Williams, I mean, he's a guy that could go. So I think that we could see some of those players that I mentioned go, depending on how well they do um, and how early that they want to leave school.
1: So how do you think the Bulldogs stack up against a lot of these other SEC teams? I mean, we're talking a conference that includes Florida, Auburn, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas A&M. We know Alabama's top of the class, and there's a possibility that Texas and OU are going to be joining the conference as well.
3: Yeah, I think a safe prediction for Mississippi State right now, just because we haven't seen the Bulldogs, you know, come out there and put it together, put the, these things that I'm saying together on the field in a consistent fashion, um, I would put them middle of the pack. A lot of people are putting them, you know, like bottom, bottom four, bottom five or so. But I mean, there's still there's still a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of things that could go either way. I mean, it's to me, it's going to come down to the players' performances and how much those players actually reach their potential, because I, that's kind of the the theme of the story here, if you haven't noticed, with these, all these guys I'm mentioning, is emergence last year and then the potential to continue building upon that.
2: Well, certainly, if they can get the air raid going to its fullest potential, it'll, they'll certainly be an entertaining team to watch for sure, at least on the offensive side of the ball, But kind of moving away from Mississippi State for our last question here. You know, you were recently able to sit down with Carson Strong, quarterback from Nevada for a piece that he wrote at the Draft Network, which I highly recommend our listeners go go and check out after this episode. You know, he's one of the many intriguing quarterback prospects in this upcoming draft cycle. And I think it's very possible that he could hear his name go in the first round when it comes to the 2022 NFL Draft. So, you know, what were some of your main takeaways from that piece as a whole and uh, some of the things that you kind of gleaned from that? Uh, Kind of talking to him there.
3: Yeah, well, one thing is that he's a worker and he aims high. That's for sure. Because the first time that I talked to Carson was, let's see, I think it was January, back when I was with Pro Football Network in January when I broke the news that he wasn't entering the draft because some of us were anticipating that maybe he would decide to go um, in the draft before this upcoming one. But the thing that always kind of stood out to me about him, just as far as the stuff that we talked about, is I want to say that in January he had said 80% was the completion percentage goal. Um, that's what he, I asked him, I said, why are you, what's the main reasoning for you going back to school? And of course part of it was the team that he has in place, which there are a lot of good pieces in place in Nevada. I think that they're um, really in just in the best position they could possibly be to make a run for the title. So that was a factor. But the other thing he said is I really and his completion percentage was like about 70% last year which is better than a lot of quarterbacks that I've covered even at their the highest level of their game and he told me he was like well I kind of want to see if I can get it to 80% and I was just like that's a (laughs) that's a record that's not that's not just a goal that's like that's you're literally shattering a record by shooting for 80% or higher so then when I talked to him this past time around He had moved it to 85%. He did say he would still be happy with 80%, but that the goal was 85, which would put him at absolutely crushing um, Mac Jones' record, which is around 77% right now. So I've noticed just from his social media that he's definitely spent a lot of time putting in the the work. You can tell that he's really, really focusing on accuracy right now. And with, with that offense and with the receivers that they have, I think that it is... I don't want to go out on a limb and say that I think it's going to be 85%, but in theory, I think that it is, it's possible and that this is a team that's in a better position on offense than a lot of other teams have for their quarterback to be able to do that. So, I mean, as far as the things that I like about him, um, one thing that me and Matt mummy talked about a lot was just his level of, of intelligence. He said that he was the most savvy quarterback that he thinks that he's ever had before. And really that's what it comes down to is, Just mentally speaking, a quarterback can have all the physical attributes. You think about guys like Felipe Franks, but if they don't have it mentally together all the time, then all of that means nothing. So that's one thing I like about him. And then his decision-making, his accuracy, obviously about having a completion percentage of about 70% is very difficult to do as it is. And I think that's something that he should be proud of in itself. And then I also see a lot of accuracy down the sideline. And that's another thing I look at is – there's one thing to have accuracy and to have really good receivers. Another thing to be throwing into tight windows from time to time and to be making some difficult throws. And he's proven to me just through his tape that he can make uh, those throws, just at all levels of the field, which is a good thing. And then I don't put a lot of emphasis on mobility. I never have. I don't really, I'm not a fan of the trend where everyone thinks that a quarterback needs to be super mobile because I'm kind of of the opinion that if you have a good offensive line in place, if you have adequate, running backs and you have good wide receivers the at the end of the day the goal is everyone needs to do their job and if everyone is doing their job then you don't you can have a good offense without your quarterback running around every five seconds I just it's not not something I like but if you do want to look at mobility I think that he has a really good ability to evade pressure and I think that he's also shown us that he can make plays with his legs if that's something that's demanded of him in the future and that he can be above average at it for sure
2: yeah, that eighty percent figure is going to be something that is going to be really interesting. Interesting to see whether he can actually accomplish that this year. Uh, certainly, that would be that would be something uh, if he's able to pull that off. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like I said, yeah. I mean, oh, that was it was intrigue. kind of
3: funny though because I mean, after he said that, I kind of wondered um, if he got a little. I don't think he did, but like if I kind of sat there and wondered if he got a little bit nervous because I saw I saw it pop up on NBC. I saw it pop up on. Uh, PFF, like the graphic of him saying that and everything. And it seemed to be getting around quite a bit more than either of us anticipated. So the pressure is definitely on for that.
2: Well, Hey, only time will tell whether, you know, he can match that pressure, but I think just, you know, reading over the article that you wrote there and, and, you know, what you're kind of saying, it, it sounds like he has a confidence and type of demeanor to where I, I think that's not going to be a problem for him and really looking forward to seeing what he can accomplish here in 2021 and hopefully he can raise his stock going forward. We're talking about him quite a bit in our on NFL full draft cycle. Uh, so that's going to wrap things up for us here. Mercy, I want to thank you once again for your time today. Uh, where can our listeners follow you on Twitter and find your work?
3: Yeah, of course. So I'm still doing some stuff at the draft network. I kind of do quarterback stuff uh, sporadically there. And then I'm covering the Bulldogs for Sports Illustrated. And then for about, about another month or so, I'm going to continue to stay on at USA Today to do some stuff on LSU. And then my Twitter is just Chrissy underscore Ford. It's just my name with an underscore in the middle of it.
2: All right. Well, we appreciate you, appreciate you having you on. Uh, it was really good talking about Safety State football and, of course, uh, getting a little insight into Cartha Strong. So thank you once again for joining us today. You ready?
0: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy.
2: Let's do it later? Let's drink a spicy
0: margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
2: That's what the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie. Critics say exists to make you happy.
2: Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't
0: either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
2: All right. So that was our conversation with Chrissy Freud. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. I, you know, I thought you said. Uh, what was some of the more interesting things you saw or what were some of the more interesting uh, elements and takeaways you had from our conversation there?
1: Well, I think really what it is, is this is that Mike Leach for me is one of the more interesting coaches in the SEC this year, because again, when we talk about the SEC, we know that the, crop of the crop is the big guys right so and in terms of coaches too nick saban ed orgeron you could throw dan mullen in there i mean kirby smart's in that category too but then mike lee drewley for a player that is i'm sorry a coach that is coming over from the pac 12 in washington state now going into year two look they Mississippi State, we have to understand something is last year, every single team was essentially limited by the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, hopefully, as things get back to normal this year, and just because the virus again is and this has been reported, the virus is surging in some parts of the country, but not necessarily others. But hopefully this year, as we continue to see more of an even playing field. I think what will happen is Mississippi State is going to be the team to watch that could surprise a lot of people this year, more than a lot of people are willing to admit. And again, this is just based off stuff that kind of, Percy discussed in the interview, as well as just some of the own research I've done. And another thing to keep in mind here is that when I say Mississippi State can surprise, am I saying that they're going to automatically be a team that is in the college football playoff from January 2022? No, but I still think that those top 25 rankings are so fluid year in and year out. I honestly would not be surprised to see Mississippi State as under a guy like Mike Leach, who again is a great coach, a great leader, an incredible football mind be someone that, you know, really vaults this program and people around the country start to take notice.
2: Yeah. I am very excited to see this air raid, Mike Leach offense in year two to see how that develops here, because, you know, one of the more exciting aspects of Mike Leach going to the sec was seeing that air raid transfer to a conference like the sec, you know, where where you're facing some of the top defenses in the entire country here. And yeah, that's just something that I'm really looking forward to in year two, because in year one, we kind of saw that it just did not quite work at times had that really nice start against LSU, but kind of fizzled out near the end. So hopefully in year two, with a year of that system there in place, uh, we start to see some development there and hopefully some very exciting offensive football uh, for Mississippi State going forward. All right, you say, that's going to wrap it up here for us here at Picks for Pace. Make sure to follow us on Twitter for all of our listeners out there at Picks for Pace on Twitter right there. Uh, you say, where can our listeners follow you on Twitter and find your work?
1: Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. That's just my first and last name. You can check out my work. On the Bear Report as well. Also, before I, we officially sign off this podcast, look, we're running a fifty percent off sale on the Bear Report. It's a great opportunity throughout the duration of the twenty twenty one season to get you know inside information about what's going on at Hollis Hall from a credentialed source. Our own publisher Zach Pearson's there. I know Andrew, you do some great stuff for the Bear Report YouTube channel as well, and we're going to continue to get that going as well throughout the course of the season. So, guys. Really sign up for that 50% off subscription. It's totally worth the money.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You're getting a really good deal with uh, that subscription at the bear report here. Get a lot of interesting nuggets from Zach uh, with training camp coming up. You know, you're going to want to get that uh, because, you know, for our VIP subscribers, you know, all of our training camp details that Zach is pointing out are going to be in his VIP notebooks. So, uh, you know, if you're looking to get more bears coverage, during this season, especially during training camp and as the season progresses, definitely take advantage of this deal. Get fifty percent off of that VIP subscription. You're not going to regret it. I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, in regards to where you can find me on Twitter and find my work, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. Uh, and like you said, said you can find my work on the U- YouTube channels. Where, well, for the Bear Report, you know, hoping to have my next video up to, up soon. Uh, we've had some issues with NFL Game Pass is going over this massive update or uh, some type of whatever they're doing with NFL Game Pass right now. Uh, we're kind of just waiting for that to get done so we can get back on that and get some video for you guys because I have a video coming up on the, actually on the Sean Desai defense and what to expect for him in year one as the defensive coordinator. But, you know, hopefully NFL Game Pass is up once again soon and we can get that out for you guys. But until then, I want to thank our listeners once again. Uh, for tuning in today to our podcast. Uh, once again, you guys are awesome. And, you know, we're hoping for a great week here as training camp kicks off. Hopefully we get a lot of interesting updates from the Bears here and what's going on at the practices. Uh, but until next week, Bears fans, bear down and hoping to have some interesting, interesting training camp nuggets to go over next week.